1: And coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. I'm just really excited about this next conversation. I don't even know where to begin. Let me just begin by introducing my guest and author, Dr. Valerie Patrick, the author of when bad teams happen to good people, your complete repair guide, repair guide for successful teamwork. I hope she sends this to a couple of Olympic teams. Here we go, right there, there's the book. And as I was reading through the book and I was just thinking about her work, right? Facilitator, leadership trainer, uh, professional speaker, and she just nails it. You know, look, this is this is somebody that if we were in the workplace together, I was her administrative executive director as she was the engineer. And we were writing all these ridiculous policies and all this stuff on teams and team approaches and getting everybody assessed, like, are you an INTJ? Or, and and then taking the other lifestyle assessment and then looking at that and then putting the team together. And if you're me, your boss walks up to you and says, there's no way you can leave the team as an INFP. And I'm like, what? But <laughs> you're laughing because you know, right? Dr. Valerie Patrick's joining me here today because somebody has to write this book. Somebody has to write this book. I I was reading this today. Well, first, let me welcome you to the show before I get off on this.
2: Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Pat. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm
1: excited to be here. Look at Okay, I got to hold this up. Hold on. Nobody's going to be able to read it, but I got to hold it up anyway. All right. Hello, U.S. Olympic teams. Read this section of her book, Emotional Well-Being. Just read that alone. Uh Look, I want to start with the question. Okay. I'm not sure I know anybody that doesn't fit the title of your book. When bad teams happen to good people. I don't think I know anyone that has been on a team that hasn't experienced this. Give us a little background, if you could, about why this book came to you and was so seriously important, especially in the workplace today. You didn't write this book thinking, oh, we're going to be here at post-COVID, because you wrote this book before that. Oh, yeah. But boy, you delivered it timely manner. What, what really got, what was the burr under your saddle to say, I got to talk about this and help some people?
2: Well, uh, I think it was all, my, all of my experience, right? <laughs> I've been in uh, corporate for 25 years and I sat down one day and just for fun, I added up all the hours of all the teams I've been on because I've been on probably my unfair share of teams and it was well over 10,000 hours of teams. So wow. I was someone who happened to figure it out. And the executives always went to me whenever there was a team that really needed to be access- successful, had important results. I was the go-to person to lead that team because I had somehow figured it out. So I got a lot of team assignments, a lot, overwhelmingly amount of team assignments. And I enjoyed it so much that when I decided to go out on my own, I decided to get certified as a professional facilitator. I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't discovered either. it. I discovered it and it was like, oh my gosh, these are my people. I had a blast doing the certification and it was things I had already been practicing and now just putting, you know, a certification to it. And so now I have over 10,000 hours working as a professional facilitator. And just what I see from all that experience and all the challenges that that I deal with and having people, you know, I was in this one meeting where I had been working with the executive director and he wanted to have this metric session. And he, as always, you have limited time to do it, right? Okay. You have four hours. And it was quite a big thing to accomplish. So I had put together this extensive pre-read so we could hit the ground running in this meeting. And I gave it to him to approve ahead of time. Well, within the first five to 10 minutes of the meeting, He was all over me for this one comment in the pre-read that he disagreed with. And because of my training as a facilitator, I managed that interaction. And I remember someone coming up to me afterwards like, oh, my goodness, I was amazed at how well you managed that. And everyone stayed engaged. You know, it wasn't this big whole drama thing. And I think that's when I started thinking that, you know, someone does need to write a book about this. And when I, myself, when I look at the books that are out there on teamwork, you know, they're kind of like, do these five things and everything will be wonderful. Do these 10 things and everything will be wonderful. And I thought, you know, it's a little more complicated than that. We're, we're still not getting it right. And so I thought with my kind of engineering background, my kind of, you know, you learn to be a problem solver, a troubleshooter, that that might be a valuable approach to help people do a better job with teams because... I was coming around statistics that 75% of teams fail or don't perform or 90% of teams. I mean, it's it's depressing. We've been doing this for a long time. We need to we need to do better because teams are more and more needed as our world yeah. gets more complex and as we get yeah. more and more technology that we have to deal with. So Over
1: and over and over again. Thank you for sharing that because, uh, you know, what I'm really struck by is that we are forgetting the impact and effect on people. And the reason I'm so struck by it, I shared this on an earlier show that yeah, and I'm just going to tell everybody now, what do you call that, Benny? This is a spoiler moment. So if you don't want to hear about the outcome of this, just like hit the mute button for a minute. (laughs) What I was struck by this morning was all of the focus has been on the gymnastics team, Mm -hmm. right? And Simone Biles. Very little focus on Simone Biles' role of being the supporter, being Mm -hmm. the leader, being the collaborator. And the reason I'm really struck by it is because the other team members are achieving uber unpredictable results. Now, did we bump a little bit on a couple of the things yesterday? But today, Simone Biles coaching to Jade, you know, Carrie, to Carrie, coaching. Let it go. Just do what you need to do. We have the least likely team participant. Honestly, least, so least likely, they don't even give her the right the same uniform. You know, she's like the alternate, right? You yeah. see her on there. She's got like, everybody's in the uniform and she's like in a red thing, but not today. And I want to talk about this because you talk about emotional well-being in your book. Yep. And you also talk about collaboration. And what happened with this today, nobody's going to talk about Simone Biles' role in upleveling and uplifting that team. Right. And I wanted to ask you about this. This is not a bad team. Like we would, the public is looking at. But there are moments when each of us are on a team and we're we're tasting success Mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen. And I want to ask you, what is the emotional impact of bad teams happening to good people from your perspective.
2: Yeah. So emotions are such an important part of teamwork. You know, emotions can shut down your performance or they can unleash your performance and what happens when you're in a team is you have a bunch of different people. They may or may not have known each other before they came together. And even if they know each other, there's so much depth to each person. You can't possibly know everything about a person. You know, they're bringing their accumulated life experiences in their non-conscious brain. It's all there. Everything that happened to them over their lifetime is going to influence how they're going to react to different situations that come up in that team. And, What we understand, and when I say we, I don't mean me, um, I mean neuroscientists and behavioral scientists and other scientists, is that we all have different threshold when it comes to experiencing emotions. Yeah. And I want to particularly talk about the negative emotions, uh, the emotions that can really get in the way of our performance. And these can be everything from doubt to um, concern to frustration, to boredom, to anger, you know, Uh. that whole spectrum of negative emotions. We all have a different threshold for when that, uh, negative emotion starts to interfere with our brain processes. So for one person, it could be a lot lower threshold in a given situation than for another person. But when you hit that threshold, and your amygdala gets fired up in the brain, that little almond sized, you know, piece of the brain deep in the brain, um, when that gets fired up, it turns off the prefrontal cortex, which is where all the performance mm-hmm. comes from. That's where the decision-making is. That's where all mm-hmm. your logical thought is, your creativity, all of that. And then that's when bad things happen. And, and it, do, it doesn't necessarily take a lot. I mean, it could be a comment, you didn't even mean anything, and you might not even know someone gets triggered because we also respond differently right some people get get you know fight back and get very <laughs> you know stand up and leave the room slam the door or whatever and others get into like the passive mode or they just withdraw or they yep. get that passive aggressiveness so you know this um this idea of this threshold is is a very sensitive thing in teams One of the things that really helped me, I got certified in the Foundations of Neuroleadership by the Neuroleadership Institute. And they have this model for emotions that I find very powerful and they call it the SCARF model. And it's an acronym for the different types of things that can trigger our emotions. So the S is for status, the C is for certainty, the A is for autonomy, the R is for relatedness and the F is for fairness. And so the way the model works, is if I perceive a decrease in my status based on what someone says or what someone does in a meeting, then I'm going to tend to feel negative emotion. Okay. And then you can extend that to the other four dimensions. And um, on the opposite end, if I perceive an increase in my status, then I'm going to tend to be more engaged and get excited. Um, But we're all unique in terms of what does status mean to me? Or what does certainty mean to me or what's my threshold? Yeah.
1: I love this. I want to talk about this. I'm going to skip break if I could. Okay. I, I made a reference and I want to, I, I want to get backed up a little bit because the body of work you have in this book is just brilliant and you can't really, you've got to read the book to follow it and see how Dr. Valerie, how you're connecting the dots. But one of the things I alluded to was a, and I, I date back to, I think we were the first company. Okay. I, I think we were the first company, AT&T, let's call it AT&T Bell Labs. I worked at Bell Labs, but it's all yeah. part of that Bell yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think we were the first company to try every assessment form on the planet. So anytime <laughs> there was an assessment form, people would say, call them because they bring you in. They're going to hire you. Come on in. They love assessments. Right. Um, but I alluded to the Myers-Briggs which Mm -hmm. was so misunderstood, but let's bring us to why that tool and other tools are important because in your book, I started to make a list of all the tools you have in your toolkit that you use, right? Um, And you talk about, (laughs) you put your score in, you put your Myers-Briggs type in here, I saw it. I did. I think you put in. ENFJ. ENFJ. Yep. Uh, I am an INFP. Ooh, cool. Uh, Ooh is right. So my point is (laughs) that unique. I'm not. I was so unique. I scored so high on the introvert scale. They were going. And this is the misuse of assessments. That's why I want to talk about what you put in the book because you put in the book how to use these. Right. For understanding self. Right. Right. Uh, an there the old school version of an INFP is they can't lead anything. So that was that misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your tools and the tools in here in self-assessment, because we don't do this enough. And then when we do, we don't do it well. Can you talk mm. about this part of your book? Because I think we need to understand this before you and I can have a conversation about leadership, right? Okay how important are these self-assessment tools and what has been your experience in having them be the key to truly understanding great team dynamics
2: yeah so i have found that um understanding myself has been really important in order for me to be able to interact with others so I had, uh, shortly after I found out what my MBTI score was, or I think during the process even, I had that aha moment like, oh, that's what's happening with Bruce. Oh my goodness. And it turned out, as a team, we all took it and we all learned our scores. And it turned out that um, I'm an N in that second uh, second dimension, which is intuitive. And he was an S in that second dimension, which is sensing. And intuitives, we were planning a meeting together. And intuitives in general <laughs> like to see the big picture. What's gonna? Where are we headed? What's the outcome? What are the results? And then you sort of back up and you know work out the details. Yeah, Jamie, you well, listening to this? <laughs> sensors want nothing to do with that. They want to know. Okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. They don't. They think it's a waste of time. You know, it's it's just a different way of, of approaching right. things. And we were having all-out brawls. Yeah. We could, we'd get nowhere. We'd meet and we'd just fight the whole time and we'd both leave in a huff. And so then I finally, the next time I sat down with him, I said, I said, listen, I need to understand this, where we're headed before I can sit down and put together the details. I, it's just the way my brain works. And then we were fine. Yeah, It was just understanding that kind of difference, the way we approach things. So I think it's a really critical part of collaborative intelligence. And in fact, there's a great book. I don't know if you know the book, Collaborative Intelligence by Donna yes. Markova and yeah. Andrew Good MacArthur. Yeah. And they talk about thinking talents. And that's another form of self-assessment is understanding your thinking talents, understanding other people have other thinking talents. And then how can you you know, work together to leverage your, your individual thinking talents and not get into um, miscommunications because of it. So I think that's what these, that sort of self-assessment helps you to bridge some of the differences and the different ways we approach things. I think they're really valuable for that and a really key part of being a good collaborator.
1: Yeah, I was doing I'm doing I'm revisiting all of this. And that's why picking up your book and reading it was so important, because we've expanded our team here. I want to I want to take a look and take a short break here coming up, because one of the things that I want to do is I want to talk about, you know, how these the this understanding of oneself, regardless of what the outcome of a team is, if you understand yourself, right. what could that mean? your own personal effectiveness. Now, I will say that what I learned about myself is that the impact I had, and this is a simple example, you know, as a manager and an executive and a director, you know, when your people come in and you're like seven o'clock in the morning, you're in your doors shut if you're me, because you are that person that needs that time to dot, dot, dot. What I learned is that view was unapproachable so rarely is my door shut even today right and as a matter of fact what will happen here is my door is so open linda will come three doors down especially like if i'm on a call or something linda will come from three doors down and come up and pull my door shut that's how open it is but what does all this have to do with how you move forward now three things i want to say and then we'll come back one there are many teams we're on If you're part of a family, you're part of a team. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that right out of the gate. For those of you out there thinking this is not for me. Yes, Two, what Dr. Valerie is doing by having us look at ourselves. You can then do what she just did, what I do. Troubleshoot it. On Friday, I went into the staff's room, our producers, there are four of them. We moved our production. And I put this white paper all up on a board. It's all on the wall. I got white paper all on the wall because I'm trying to understand the impact on processes of our new technology. And I have to see it. But Linda, who is more like the SJ, like all in the detail who gets it, you know, I have to explain why I have to see the connections of the big picture. Yeah. It is so important to me, yet it is certainly not important to people that are doing day to day. When we come back, how do we explain ourselves? Maybe it's not a good idea to go in four people's rooms and put white paper on a board without at least having them know what the heck you're doing. But more importantly... If you understand yourself, can you understand other team members, and does that buy you anything? Dr. Valerie Patrick is going to talk to us about that. We're giving books away. We're going to take a short break, but before we do, when bad teams happen to good people, there's a lot in here. This is a repair guide for successful teams. It doesn't matter what team you're on. But 1-800-930-2819, if you've got questions, want a copy of the book, 1-800-930-2819. We're going to talk about assessments and then we're going to talk about leadership. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Life can be demanding, but sometimes our wheels are spinning and we're too
0: focused on making them turn to notice we're stuck in the mud. Tune into The Pause with me, Ellen Wyoming Deloy, every second and fourth Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. Learn how to stop, reflect, and start moving forward with intention. And if you're really looking to jumpstart your personal development, schedule a free coaching consultation with me at ellenwyomingdeloy.com.
3: 1757. Make an appointment today or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com and click on the link that says recovery recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx on transformationtalkradio.com.
0: Join Jennifer Noel Taylor on the hit show, Quantum Touch Radio, supercharging your life on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You'll take a quantum journey as well as reveal powerful yet simple steps to create more abundance, better health, emotional and mental vibrancy, and happier relationships using universal Quantum Touch principles. For more information, visit QuantumTouch.com. Did you know that each Enneagram type has a different worldview, different patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving? They also have essential qualities that are unique to their type. Understanding this helps us develop more tolerance, respect, and appreciation for ourselves and others. Renee Siegel works with individuals, couples, families, and groups using the Enneagram to build better relationships as a tool in addiction recovery. Visit urpurepotential.com for more info. It's time to shake out your money-making truth on soul wisdom abundance with Jennifer Bloom, creating wealth from spiritual health on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show is more than your roadmap to success. It's your compass to abundance through joy and ease. Jennifer Bloom teaches you about the soul's relationship to money and wealth and how improving that relationship serves both you and the world.
1: Learn more at JenniferBloom.com. Oh, that's a team, Fleetwood Mac. They're a team, Benny.
2: Of course they are.
1: Don't you think they're a team? Yeah. Oh yeah, Benny. Who's the leader of the Fleetwood Mac team? Oh come okay. on, you're you gonna ask somebody. somebody. What really? Come on, so you tell me who you think the leader of Fleetwood Mac team is.
2: Well, it's gonna be Stevie.
1: <laughs> that's what I say? And guess what? You know the real leader of Fleetwood Mac <laughs> didn't agree with that. I think that's why they weren't Fleetwood Mac anymore. Just yeah, saying.
2: That's okay. <laughs> they're still doing great now.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, come on, Stevie Nicks. Thank you for your, thank you for being you. Welcome back, everybody. I want to thank, you know, Dr. Valerie Patrick for being her self, but also being someone that not only understands the power of looking at this, but how to troubleshoot it, how to pinpoint this is a, this book. And, and Jamie, I know you're uh, putting some, some, pictures of it when bad teams happen to good people this is the kind of book you really need to get for your team and for yourself 1-800-930-2819 I was reading your book and I just out of reading your book I'm like I got to make a few adjustments for myself here for who I I got to make an adjustment yeah because you got to learn some things you can teach old dogs new tricks Absolutely. I know that I had an old dog. I taught her. I I taught my old dog new tricks. But I think what you're trying to help us with is you got to build a foundational baseline, and that is understand who you are, right?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes. I think you know the other aspect of understanding who you are is also understanding your so your source of motivation. I mean, <gasps> one aspect of understanding who you are is when you understand who you are then you understand how others are different than you. And that's an important baseline for collaboration. But the other aspect of understanding who you are is getting more in touch with your source of internal or intrinsic motivation. What are the things you were put on this earth to do? What are the things that you naturally get excited about? What is the type of impact that you think you're meant to have? So that's the other part of understanding who you are that's really important. Because if you're sitting on a team And you can't see the connection between your talents or the things that you really want to have impact on and what the team is trying to do it's going to be really hard for you to get motivated to be on that team
1: i I want to talk to you about motivated to get on the team and i want to go into move into a leadership because you know there's so many things we can talk about here today but i'm really struck by your chapter on troubleshooting team composition, but there's a few things to talk about before we get there. Right. Okay. Um, you talk about, can I, may I read from your book? Absolutely. A little bit. Okay. There's one thing you said, I learned from a bad experience and you talk about this. You learn from a bad experience and have since developed skills need to be flexible and adjusting a facilitation plan on the fly as needed by participants. Now I want to go to the next thing. A team leader who must deviate from their meeting plan when the team needs to go in a different direction can feel wrong, which can produce a threat response and lead to negative feelings. So I'm talking about deviating from a plan here. Okay, now, deviating from a plan in the minds of some people is a violation of what they believe somebody is obligated to do. If a team leader deviates from a plan and you believe the team leader is obligated to provide direction and the plan, then you've just violated a psychological contract. And there are so many consequences from that. Um, I want to ask you, in a high-performance team, you have to make adjustments to the plan. Absolutely. And isn't the how you do it more important than the what? I'd like to know
2: your take on that. I I think you nailed it, Dr. Pat. The how is everything. Because if you feel in that psychological contract that you do have that responsibility, you're up there, you're leading, you have to get the plan right. If you get it wrong, that's a problem. You've just failed. And if you view that as a failure, you're gonna get in a emotional space that's not gonna be helpful for the team moving forward. And with the complexity of the work that we have to do today to expect that one person can come up with a plan and it's going to be right, that's an unrealistic expectation. And that's part of the reason you have the team. So the leader, I think, needs to have the attitude of bring that straw model forward, right? View the plan as a straw model. Here's where I think we need to start based on my experience, based on the things that I have done. But the reason I have you team Is to bring in all your different perspectives. So we get the best plan going forward. And as we encounter obstacles, or we learn new things to adjust this plan as needed? That's the right attitude. Uh So now you're turning being wrong into an openness to learn and all get better together. So, um, so yeah. I, and,
1: you know, I want to talk about this. Can May I read another thing from your book? I read the book. Absolutely. So I apologize if I'm quoting from your book. No,
2: I love it. It's great.
1: Um, and uh, I want to read something because I so believe this. Um, I believe it at every level. And, and I also believe that everybody can be a leader and a strong leader. I do believe that. Me too. Um, and I think you nailed it before you got to have the motivation to be that um, you say leadership is not for the faint of heart. In addition to internal and external leadership challenges are inherent to leadership. Wait, sorry. In addition to internal and external leadership challenges are inherent to leadership challenge. You know, internal, external challenges. They're internal to leadership, these challenges occur when the resilience and discipline needed to bear the difficulties, burdens, and loneliness of being a leader are lacking. Yo, like, stop the book. (laughs) Um, This is a core of failures that could be at catastrophic levels. I'm talking the space shuttle. Hello. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was a complete, we can talk about that in another show when you come back. Yeah. But you then say the good news, I got to get to the good news I want you to talk about. The good news is that Alita can employ various tactics to handle the internal, external, interest, intrinsic challenges of leadership. I would love for you to talk about that because what you're saying is yeah, even though this is a rough and rocky road. And believe me, as an owner of a company that just went through COVID-19 and figured out how to expand and grow through it, this was no easy feat. Did I do it perfectly? No. Am I still making mistakes with my team? Yes. But please talk about what we do learn here from that.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, the internal leadership challenges, that gets back to what you were talking about before, what you learn from assessments and what you learn from, you know, what you need to do in a particular leadership position and where you might have skills that you need to develop, that you know you need to develop. So those internal leadership challenges are about doing the assessments, finding the gaps, and then getting the training or reading the book or whatever you need to do to address some of those internal limitations. The external limitations are things that are often things you can't control. Things that are in the environment, um, things that you just have to adjust to. And I think they're similar to the inherent leadership challenges which you just talked about, you know, that loneliness, that it can be lonely at the top, it definitely can be lonely at the top. And you know, the pressure, the extra stress that the leader feels in terms of the team. And what I have found in my experience is that, and, and putting up with, you know, people who are impacted by the team's work complaining about it, or the team members complaining about it, or they're not happy about the direction you're setting, or they're not happy about what's going on or a new barrier, and you have to, you know, help them get through that. I think it all gets back to that well-being that we talked about earlier. And well-being is so important to build what I call personal resilience, you know, that's the basis of your energy, of your ability to keep going in the face of barriers and negativity. Uh, That resilience, um, we understand a lot now from neuroscience in terms of what it takes to have a a healthy brain. And I talk about the SPICE model in the book uh, for wellness, uh, which is an acronym for the five dimensions of well-being. So S is for social well-being. That's about having Uh, friends, uh, a network of close friends that works for you. For some people, that's a small group. For other people, it's a larger group. P is the physical well-being. That's um, your your diet, what you're eating. That's high-quality sleep. That's exercise. You know, neuroscientists now understand that our brain works best when we're running away from something. So the cardiovascular exercise is really important to the well-being of our brain then you have the eye which is the intangible well-being and that's about you know feeding the soul in a way that can help you be in the present moment when you need to because our brain can be so easily distracted then there's the c for cognitive well-being people pretty much understand what that is i like to look at it as it as use it or lose it um, you got to continue to learn to use your brain in order to be able to have your brain functioning at the highest ability And then the last one's emotional well-being, which we already talked some about, but that's all about being aware of your emotions, Mm -hmm. but also being able to identify the emotions of others, being able to manage your emotions so they're not shutting down your thinking and being able to manage the emotions of others. So their thinking is not being shut down because neither would lead to good results when it Mm -hmm. comes to a team.
1: That leads me to the next part of your book that I really want you to talk about. And boy, I can't talk about it enough. And that is team climate. You know, every and, and let me just ask, let me just jump in here for a minute. Um, okay. Okay. I play on teams and I, I play on teams. Y- yes. I have teams here in the workplace, but I also play on sport. I play a sport. Yep. And, you know, even though we're watching, we're watching the sport individually, you're also watching for the first time team events in table tennis. And that's my sport. And I'm yeah. on teams, and I, I have partners, and we're on teams, and we do teams. And I have learned more from recently, um, before COVID, from playing on a team in that sport, especially from people with other from other cultures, right? So yeah. my women partner is East Indian. Uh, my mixed partner is uh, South American, Mexican. And then my other uh other partner is Chinese, and so when you put everything together this and my coach is Korean um, and so when you put everything together, I learn things, yeah, for example, there's a habit in the sport sometimes where you say you're sorry for missing. you just say it, people say it yeah my coach uh, my coach and also Louis is like stop. Do not do that. <laughs> I want to talk about climate. Because when we win as a team, and that means everybody has to play and you, you know, when there is winning as a team, the thing I point to is climate. And I don't know if I'm right at that. But that's what I relate to. And there's confusion between organizational climate and culture, help us out with this, please.
2: Um, yeah. So the other thing that I just thought of when you said, you say you're sorry, um, it turns out that women tend to say they're sorry more than men. And we could get more into that as well. Um, but, um, yeah, so climate versus culture. So the way I like to look at it is if you think of a tree with roots, you know, deep roots, and then you have the branches and the fruit, you know, above the tree, the roots are the culture. So the culture is the, um, Goes, goes way back to when the company was started. Um, you know, in terms of one of the companies I worked for, it all started with their manufacturing expertise. And that's where the power base of the company was. And that's something that's just not going to change overnight because that is is built over years and years and years. It's deep in the roots of the company and who they are. Um, but above ground are the how you experience life in the organization day-to-day, how how you feel uh, when you go to a meeting, when you go to to your office with your office mates. It's that day-to-day feeling. And when we talk about team climate, we're talking about how do you actually feel in a particular team. The climate is something you actually can change because it's not so deeply rooted in the organization. Those are things that are easier to change. And that's why I think it's important to think about team climate. And I think one of the most important things about team climate, and you alluded to this a little bit, is how included people feel in a team. There's research that's been done by the Neuroleadership Institute that shows that diverse teams, so they can be diverse in terms of visible diversity, different races, different genders, things like that, and different um, expertise. Uh, Diverse teams make better decisions, and that gets back to the challenger uh, that you mentioned earlier. Diverse teams make better decisions. They have higher innovation than homogeneous teams, but only if all the different perspectives are included, only if there is an inclusive climate. So climate is so important, especially as our workforces get more diverse.
1: Okay. And that really, um, boy, um, do you mind if I keep rolling here? But before I keep rolling, I want to make sure uh, from you, Dr. Valerie, everybody knows about your book, but also how do they find out more about you? Because this is such an important conversation. I just don't want to interrupt it with a break. Please tell me how folks can find out more about you and more in, pr- in particular, how do they get to hire you? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a subject... Matter expert in teamwork, and I do Mm -hmm. instructional design and training to help people develop the skills that they need to excel in teamwork. And I also provide professional facilitation, which is hands-on support for teams or events that really need to produce results or have high visibility. And my goal in working with clients is to empower them to maximize performance and and results. So you can find out more about me on my website, www.fulcrumconnection.com or you can connect with me, Valerie Patrick on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter at fulcrum connect, or you can check out my video series on YouTube called the team cast.
1: And by the way, also, if I could please check on the podcast, if you go to the website, you're gonna see science-based business success, which I love that topic. And when I look at this, go ahead and look at some of the things on here. For example, secrets to enabling collaboration in your team. Please, if you need help at your organization, which boy, many of you have asked me, how do I get help? I'm no longer doing that work, but Dr. Valerie Patrick is, please get her. Um, I I wanted to stay with the flow of this if we could, if you don't mind. Go ahead. And the reason I want to stay with the flow of this is because part of what I discovered In looking at broken promises and promises in general, an unexpected finding had to do with the lack of a definition on integrity in my work. Hmm. And so I was able to then define it based on what people said it was. But I have to ask you about integrity and teams, because I do believe that, and I'm not an expert on this at all. I mean, I've done a little research. That's it. You're the team expert. But what have you bumped into when integrity becomes a thing? And and it's one of these words, if I could, where people—it's squidgy. It's like yeah. a squidgy word. I'm going to ask it's you to like, define it
2: for me. Right. I'm going to ask you to define it for me. I
1: don't even want to go there, but I will define it for you <laughs> later on. I'll give you the. I'll, I'll give you like the research thing, uh, th- what I found. But from your perspective, it shows up on teams, even if people don't know how to define it. And they say things like, I can't work with a manager I don't respect, or I can't help help me talk uh-huh. about this idea of integrity. It's almost, it's, what is it? I did a, a survey. It's in about 50% of vision statements of Fortune 100 companies. But integrity yes. is one of those words that you don't talk about it when you have it. You talk about it when people feel they don't have it.
2: Yeah. So I, as you're talking about it, the word that comes to my mind is trust. Yes. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about trust
1: in teams, because my boss used to say that that was a backbreaker.
2: (laughs) That's a visual. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Um, Trust is essential in high performance teams. And I think it takes a process to get there. Um, I think there are some exercises the team can do together to help get there and I think that it's really important when you are talking about trust that you're focusing on the roles and the talents that team members are bringing towards the team objective so for me focusing on that team objective and and keeping it um, on that and and what people are bringing to the team because there's external forces right you know especially in organizations so you can have someone on the team their boss may be against what the team's doing, you know, and you don't know, and they're put in this awkward position of trying to keep their boss happy and trying to keep the team happy. So I think there are exercises that you can do to surface some of the challenges of team members that, and then everyone, you know, can help people who are in these compromising positions. I mean, it could be that someone's on the team that shouldn't be on the team because of, of, of the position that they're in. You know, that could be a possibility. And by the way, that is one of the hardest places to get to. Can we
1: talk Absolutely. about that? Yes. Now, look, if you're me and you're you, and let's say, you you know, you have people on your team, we have control of certain things, right? right? But there is this thing that happens on teams and you address it in the book, right? Yeah. Um, participation suffers from lack of trust, right? Yes. And there are things we have to do. You know, there are design issues on teams. There are all of that. Right. Your book really does touch on just about every single thing that could possibly cause a hiccup on a team. But then you come back with the solution. I want to ask you this question in the time we have left. Okay. In your opinion. Going to kind of put you on the spot here, if I could. Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you believe the landscape of teams? I mean, your book will apply across the board. It doesn't matter what this answer is. What you have in this book applies across the board. Right. You should use it for families, by the way. Yes. Um, in your opinion we are seeing people being asked to go back to normal at work in your opinion has the landscape changed for what we need to look at to to create high performance teams post-covid or does it really not matter
2: no, I think it has. I have talked to some people about um, the impact of COVID on teamwork, and um, what I'm learning is all the ways that people have been misusing Zoom. Just like you can misuse email, you can misuse the Zoom. Texting. You can misuse you know, texting. A, absolutely, it's a technology that is great to enhance to enhance your efforts when used properly, but you know I'm hearing stories of. You know, bosses calling meetings because they're just checking in on people, making sure they're working. They're, they're concerned about people not working since they're not in the office. And, you know, bosses, employees can see right through this. You know, using Zoom for, to gather information. I mean, not you know, there's so much more efficient ways to do that. I think there has to be a renewed respect of in-person interaction, whether it's virtual or actual in-person it's time consuming. You're pulling people away from their work. It takes more time when you're face-to-face to work through things. You have to make sure that the benefits of that meeting are gonna outweigh all those costs. And that gets back to planning. You know, you, you really don't wanna call a Zoom meeting unless you know how are all the people needed for this meeting. They all need to participate, why? What is it that we're trying to achieve? And then is the time we're putting in worth it for those results and taking those people away from their work and, and putting their time towards this? And I think that's gotten sloppy over the pandemic. I think Zoom's just been such a go-to. And I'm not trying to, I'm not being negative on Zoom. I think it's a great tool. But I think that's gotten sloppy and we have to get um, smarter and better at calling people together, at using people's times in, you know pulling, pulling them into a meeting. We've got to get smarter about that.
1: Um this is really, I think, really the next part of one of our greatest challenges and opportunities because you're absolutely right about it. you know, in the in our industry and what we've been in, and especially when you're building a network that has hosts participating from all over the world, Zoom Zoom is a blessing. And yet I will tell you this that we are getting more requests now from our hosts that want to come here and do shows from our studio here. And, you know, that's not because they have nothing better to do, but we miss that contact. We miss that contact. But you touched on something really interesting, and I have a few minutes left and I really want to go through. You asked me to define integrity. And I got to a point in my study where there is. The qualitative research in this study had to, has 1,200 pages of notes, wow. but one of the unexpected results was that people were wanted to talk about what they called integrity. And so you nailed it. It's so much about trust, but it's really this interesting now definition. When your boss kind of creep zooms you, I call it creep Zoom. Sorry I like that It's creep Zoom. Uh, When you get a (laughs) creep. It's good. I'm telling you that I have some people that told me their bosses want to zoom uh, on all the time. I mean, it's creep zoom. It's like creep zoom.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Here are some of the things I would love for you to talk about in high performance team. No hidden agendas. Trust between everyone. Be honest and upfront. Responsibility and accountability. Um, Withholding information was literally called a form of dishonesty, right? Not having answers. Yeah. Um, But one of the people said this, you need to say what you're going to do and then do it. If something changes, help explain it to employees so they understand why you can count on it. Something happened as promised. If you make a promise, keep it. If something doesn't work out, talk about it honestly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's transparency. Yep. That's transparency for the good of the organization and for the good of the team. Yep. And that's why I want to ask
1: you on this last point to talk about transparency. It's one of the most popular words that came up from our political arena.
2: But
1: transparency in the workplace, I think, is the work, the body of work that, boy, you can help some companies do. Talk about the importance, if you would.
2: Yeah. I think transparency is the basis of trust. Mm -hmm. And it comes from a place of wanting, of genuinely wanting to make a positive contribution of wanting to see success in the organization it also comes from a place of setting your own goals aside i think so you need to be aware of what your ambitions are but i think you also need to be aware of that you're only going to be able to achieve your ambitions through others and that's where transparency becomes so important because organizations why do we have organizations because one person can't do it alone. You need, a, you need a group of people to do it and you need to have them structured in a way that everything's gonna work out and everything's gonna get done. And in order for a person to ascend in an organization, and this is more important, I think this is more true today than it used to be the case because things are more complicated today. You have to be able to work with people in a positive way that to, to have that impact, to, to get those results. And um, transparency is just such an important part of that. I mean, when you think about all the examples of when do you not trust someone? You know, you mentioned the hidden agenda. That's a lack of transparency problem. When uh, you don't understand someone's behavior. Okay, something's going on there. You have to unearth what's behind that behavior in order to get to a productive um, interaction and collaboration. So um, I'm not saying transparency for transparency's sake. Again, I'm saying transparency when it relates to achieving an objective and the types of the plan, you know, the process that you need to get there or the climate that you need to support that, you know, there's so much research about the importance of climate to innovation and creativity. Um, So transparency with respect to what is needed to support the achievement of the outcomes, the achievement of the results in, in that group of people, in that team. You know, there's
1: so much that you've included in the book and I wanna thank you for stepping out and really, you know, helping us understand uh, not just the dynamics of a team, but
2: reminding us that there are human beings on teams. Absolutely. I, I really, my goal in writing the book was to help empower people to have good team experiences and to have higher performance because that's the way you increase your impact and your performance is through others. It's through teamwork. It's so important.
1: Mm. Um, Please tell folks again how they can find out more about you. Um, also how they can get copies of the book. And then I would love to know your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with today. And thank you for taking time to
2: join us on the show. Oh, absolutely. So uh, again, my website www.fulcrumconnection.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Valerie Patrick, Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at fulcrum connect. And I also have that uh, video series on YouTube called the Teamcast. Thank you. Personal message. Yeah, I I think my personal message is that um, anyone can be a team leader. Anyone can um, help a a fledgling team. I think you just uh, need to learn more about the types of things that can go wrong and the symptoms when things aren't going well. And the book provides all sorts of tactics uh, for you to start with to help you. Uh, fix your team or to help get you on the right foot if you are a first-time team leader. So I'm, go team.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I don't care what you say, but there's nothing that's going to get done in the world as we move forward as organizations without strong teams. It's just not going to happen. Those teams that can do the things in your book and can troubleshoot the things in your book they will be the ones that have insight in order to grow because that's what teams do, they grow and they change. And you've laid this out beautifully. And I'm not kidding, Dr. Valerie, about this. When I looked at your book and I started to think about some of the the family structures, people I know in families and really what they're struggling with, you really do have a way to help those people navigate through some very uncertain times. And I want to thank you for doing that. I hope I just didn't give you a whole new body of work to do.
2: Bless you, Dr. Pat. I really appreciate the input and feedback. And um, it's, it's wonderful. I'm glowing.